Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 13 of Woods and Waters Project. Today's guest is my great friend, Connor Wakefield, and just the person to touch on this week's subject. There are a number of things I see and hear over and over again, and I compiled a list and got together with Connor to talk about these perceived barriers of entry. Connor is a avid bow hunter, but has only been doing this for four years. He creates great content, has a YouTube channel, has been a mentor and a voice for bow hunting in public land. And the amount of things that he has learned in a four-year period is amazing. And a lot of these barriers of entry, these excuses, these reasons for people to not get started... He firsthand has faced those. And I know this will not apply to every single person listening, but I think it's really important to address the bigger issue here. And I am really excited to pick his brain. So we're going to just jump into it. And here we go. I just, then I just fell off the map. Here we are. I'm washed up. So at Wildwood, Iowa City, with an average bow hunter. Yep. Yep. Just a couple average Iowa folk. I came in for a happy hour and smoked wings. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I, I had brisket wings. and salad and blue. Because you're flexing on me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which actually we'll come back to. That'll come full circle later. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I so, saw that coming. Yeah. Well, 
I brought you here today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Welcome to my studio. Oddly enough, <laughs> I, mean, I picked the location. I brought you here today. Yeah, I have only been here one other time when I was underage. Solid. Mm-hmm. You're probably going to throw us out now. Yeah. Um, that was like 10 years ago? Yeah. It was 10 years ago. Sir, if you could shut the notifications off on your device. I'll turn great. the ding off. I won't turn the notifications <laughs> okay. off, though. Perfect. <laughs> I enjoy engagement with my following. Okay, so I'm in the... Did you call me sir? Yeah. Wow. The last time you'll ever do that. So here we are, finally recording, hopefully, a final episode. Yeah, we've had part one, part two. Yeah. This is part three. Yeah. So you'll <laughs> recognize... Connor's voice from one of my last interviews with Tim Cool. That interview was originally supposed to be an interview with Connor, but it turned into Connor and I interviewing Tim. And then Connor's also um, a mention on the trailer for Woods and Waters Project in the beginning. You hear his voice there. So you might edit in a couple of those uh, clips from the original podcast interview. But this is going in a completely different direction today. I thought Connor would be the perfect person to talk about this with me. I want to talk about the perceived barriers of entry into hunting in the outdoors. With a capital P on perceived, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Sure. Let's do it. So I had put uh, some questions out there on Instagram and asked a few people what they thought. If they were getting into hunting for the first time or if they had, what they think would hold them back from getting started. I met Connor in August and we were mentors together for a field to fork hunting event where we mentored brand new hunter. Oh my God. We mentored brand new, brand new hunters. And they had a lot of questions and a lot of hesitations and a lot of things that came up that I think surprised them that may or may not have been easier than they thought. The reason I think Connor is a great person for this interview is if you follow any of his stuff and kind of have a little bit idea of his story, he's really only been hunting for like four years, right? Correct. Yep. Just finished my fourth season. So. And you didn't really have anyone teach you, like in person, right? I would say no. Okay. No one taught me or showed me how to shoot a bow. No one taught me how to bed hunt. I would say I got shown the whitetail world by somebody, but nobody taught me how to hunt. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And you've had a lot of success in four years, I think. Yes. And I think a lot of people can have success if they learn to measure it correctly according to their level of hunter that they stand at. And I want to like recognize before we get into this, that Connor and I are both pretty young people who, you know, are privileged in a lot of ways, I think, and recognize that. And we also are in the Midwest and the whitetail capital of the United States. Yeah. So there's some things that we have at our fingertips that maybe people listening don't don't have. Sure. So I want to recognize that because there are some things that we are, we are really lucky to have. Yeah, apply, apply it accordingly. Yeah. But 
the barriers of entry I hear all the time are really consistent. And some of the themes that I hear really surprise me. Typically, what I expect to hear is people talk about land, equipment, money, which are all things that I want to address. But actually, the number one thing I hear and I get a lot of personal messages about is people's knowledge and confidence um, and a community around them that they can fall back on. Those are usually, it's like a people thing. Mm -hmm. It's not like a physical, tangible thing. And I think that's interesting. And I think that both like what Connor and I aim to do in a way, but differently is to build a community and inspire people to get out there and, and do these things or talk about it, share what they know or don't know, ask questions. So I think it's a great subject to start with. Go out and fail. Just accept it. Um, but I want to start by saying like the gentleman that showed me the whitetail world that didn't really teach me to hunt. I don't want to take credit away from him, but at one point in time, I felt like I was doing it just so we could hunt together and I could have a hunting buddy. And one day I asked him to come hunt with me and he looked at me and he said, I've been going to the woods or my dad sent me to the woods alone for 10 years before I ever hunted with anyone. I'm not going fucking hunting with you. And so since that day, I took it as a grain of salt and like I just sucked it up and I went by myself a lot. Um, I think at this point in my life, I'm very grateful for that. I'm very grateful for that one sentence he said to me because the personal growth that I've witnessed within myself over the last year or two years is like alarming in a good way in which I seem to be <laughs> manifesting life and paralleling the universe for the first time ever in my life. So very thankful. Yeah. And what, how do you feel like you've got the confidence level that you have now? Because you are pretty confident. Well, I'll be honest. I, I would say I wasn't prepared to go and, to the woods by first season so anyone thinking that you know i need to be this or i need to be that before you go out there like i think that applies to everything in life not only just hunting um so i think we need to disregard all critics um, because it's it's the personal journey at least i was after when i started that's more important than what you may um, you know, you may receive from peers, etc. Sir, 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 <laughs> mute your phone, please, sir. Okay. Quiet, please. We're on a golf course. Um, yeah. So I don't. It's tough, right? Because everybody's pretty goal oriented these days. Um, and I think. Success. Is that what we're on already? Success. You can go wherever you want. Rephrase the question one more time for me. Mm -hmm. So one of the barriers of entry that comes up the most, like that surprises me, is the is the confidence and the community and like people not feeling like they can do it on their own. They're not smart enough to figure it out and they don't have anyone backing them. And I think to some level of like, okay, 
I put myself out there. Now I'm just going to get laughed at and not be accepted. There's like this, like just yeah. huge. Well, acceptance is bullshit. First of all, um, second, I once heard on the working class bow hunter Jack Ficara, I think, said it. No, it was Chip City. He said people need to forget all that fucking shit and just go put a flannel on and some car hearts and take their bow with them and go trip around the woods until they fucking start learning what deer do. Like, cause we all think we know what deer do and we don't. Like, yeah. it's a wild animal. It does whatever <laughs> it wants. It doesn't do it the same every time. And, um, it just gets portrayed completely differently, except we live in a time and an era where it's not being portrayed that way as much anymore. Mm -hmm. So that's why people like yourself are super great to know and like follow along with. Um, confidence comes with time and practice. I shot my bow a lot after my first season. I missed a good buck on a highly pressured piece of public out of somebody else's tree stand. Like just so happened he had his name and phone number on it. So I saved it that day when I was out scouting and when my sit that morning didn't go well, I went to the other side of the river. That sit didn't go well. I came back and I texted him and I was like, you and me in the stand today, I want to sit it. He said, no, go ahead, shoot a big one. I climbed up in the thing, fell asleep for 15 minutes, woke up, rolled my Primo's bleak can over twice, waited five minutes, rolled my Primo's bleak can over twice. And it was a matter of seconds when I looked up through a timber stand and saw two racked bucks like coming at me. It was two good bucks. I figured I'd shoot at the first one in case I missed because the second one would perhaps turn around, run the other way, and then come back by me and give me an opportunity, which is exactly what happened. He came by, the first one stopped perfectly with his head behind a large tree. I let an arrow fly as my bottom pin entered his torso, which was probably 30-some yards um, because I just thought I was there and I... I was telling myself I had to rush it because the other buck was behind him and maybe watching me. I literally watched the arrow zip two inches over his back. Immediately, I looked at the second buck, and he turned around, ran three paces, turned around and ran back the other way. And they, they looked even bigger as they ran away from me. So <laughs> um, it was one of... It was a moment I'll never forget in my life, but from that day on, I hunted bone, antler, and when the season expired, I was very frustrated with myself because I had like succumbed to everybody else's priorities and goals and realized I hadn't taken any meat home. Because, I, because even four seasons in, I still feel like at this point, like when a trophy steps out, I'm a trophy hunter. Any other day, I'm a meat hunter. And that's why I got started. I had a concern where my meat was coming from. Yeah. I think that brings up a good point, too. In, in like, the world we're in, I think there's, like, this expectation that you have to share everything that you did with your day yeah. on social media. And I think part of, like, this whole well, first, hold on. first off, I think, I think people do need to share everything that goes on in their day because, like, we're human. And sure. Like, yeah. A lot of people that are sharing everything that go on in their day. Let's be frank, they're not fucking human in, like, the world we live in. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, like, I think it's very important. I think I get what you're saying as far as, like, authenticity and being honest and not making it a highlight reel. But I also think 
that like if someone's out there listening and they just want to learn and endure it and experience like the beauty of the outdoors, the adrenaline of hunting or whatever it is that they want to experience, like you can do that for your, you can yeah. do that shit for yourself. Like yeah. it doesn't have to be socially out there. Like, and I say that with a, you know, a grain of salt as like we both are right. sharing our experiences on social media, but you don't have to. I think everyone needs to know too. I grew up in Eastern Iowa my entire life and I never hunted. I only fished. My mom was basically, you could say anti-gun. We're not liberal though. She just didn't want them in her house. Um, so yeah, we, we might've had one or two that was grandpa's old guns or something, but we did not actually go shoot guns. We didn't hunt. My uncle's hunted, but like my cousin's hunted, but I never did. My mom always was frustrated when they relate to holidays and stuff. I was like, I, I don't know. I just saw it as like something that wasn't as important as being with your family in those times, um, which I, which I still completely agree with. Yeah. And that's, I guess that's a difference between like, I agree with what you're saying, but the way I, we, Connor and I were only, we were raised about 25 minutes away from each other, but I haven't known you that long, but in my family, like my family are, we we're gun collectors. I mean, everyone in my family is mm-hmm. packing all the time. And I mean, for fun, like we pull our guns out, we play with them in the living room. Like that's the, the way. Sounds fun. Yeah. It's, it is, it's weird, but it, <laughs> but it is, but like, that was our way of spending time together sure. was through hunting. And, um, and I, I and I imagine both, that's I how it was for sides. my other side of the oh, family sure. too. Yeah, like, I'm sure it was. Yeah, there was just a whole lot of Harmson brought into mm-hmm. my side. Yeah, but this idea of like, what's weird for me is my family has really learned to accept it and love it and love the message that I'm sharing and the people that are in like my you know my community that the stuff that they share. But it, it's bizarre to them. The social media like taught how big hunting. And the outdoors is in social media like it's very it's confusing and they don't really quite get it that's tough because you're looking at two ends of the spectrum there and there's still a lot of people that don't get it but we're in a we're in a pretty serious time where conservation is being jeopardized by a loss of hunting licenses yeah um so it takes people like us in my opinion to be transparent and to show show their vulnerabilities, um, to really bring this thing back full circle. I won't say that I never started hunting because the big trophy thing, but I'll say because of that first year when I bone hunted because of my buddy being a, that showed me the whitetail world. I like I never went back. Like I I completely completely realized that I was living somebody else's life trying to accomplish things. And just reset, and then Kurt Geyer gave me some very good insight one day and said, I was like, how, I asked him one day before my first, the next season, I said, how do, you, how do you set goals for yourself? And he said, you, you just climb the ladder. And I was like, perfect, I can do that. And I've just taken baby steps ever since. Like, I honestly don't want to climb the ladder too fast now. So, like, if people know me that are listening to this, if you don't, I'm fortunate to be close with the Jaquistos now, but, like, I don't want to fall into that game in inches, like, at all yet, because that's not what it's about to me. Yeah. So. What is it about? 
mm, life skills, honestly, like deep down, it's life skills and the challenge. I felt, you know, very mundane and repetitive with life that I had, I, I needed a breakup and I'd bow fished for a while, but realized I wasn't like bringing home any meat from it. And then living in urban Chicago, I was like, mm, none of this meat looks good anymore on the shelf. Like, why does it look those colors? Because I had eaten deer steaks all the year, like all that year before when I lived in Indiana with my buddy. And something was just super alarming about it to me. And then I realized like, shout out to my boy, Garrett Benner, but I was born primal and it was just like, it was time to go back. So that's what I did. Yeah. Yeah. The life skills part I can totally relate to. That's exactly, <clears throat> that's exactly what I want. I want to be sufficient and skilled and not have to, you know, honestly, I that's the biggest barrier. Like I think like if people think we're about to talk about barriers, like none of these are going to like even feel like barriers when you get out there and like you hunt and maybe you take a shot at a deer, maybe you unsuccessful. I have like an unsuccessful hunt, maybe miss a deer, maybe hit a deer bad. I was like, that's going to trip you out way more than any of these barriers that we talked to today. Yeah. Like the mental battle itself. Yeah. And I, I think that was just, I mean, I get it. Like I totally do, but it was actually really surprising to me how many people talked about the people and the self-confidence aspect of it. But to start, I mean, you gotta just, you have to just start where you are and take a hunter education class. Yeah. If it's more about hiking or fishing for you, like doing research, getting out there. doing. Yeah. So I, I started with turkey hunting. Like I heard a gobble in the woods before I ever saw a racked buck in the timber. I'd say, um, so that's why it's still chase turkeys with a bow and no blind, um, because I, they're really cool creatures to watch. And I honestly learned a lot that time of year about deer, just being a field through the five weeks of archery turkey season. And I think a lot of people overlook, but it, it's just, it's learning to prioritize time. And like, fortunately in the Midwest, we have a lot more to it than people on the East coast. Or the West Coast, because shit just moves slower out here. It's just, it's real. Like, speed limits are slower. There's no tolls. Like, shit's cheaper. Yeah, like you may, you may not bring in as much money, but all those things like lead to something greater. And it's, I took it for granted growing up, and I don't anymore. Yeah, I think that an advantage and disadvantage we have in the Midwest too, and it's a real thing is the work ethic that's bred around here. I mean, whatever people are doing, I feel like people work really hard at what they do out here for the most part. I mean- Well, I, I would I, say I, that about the, you have to say that about the East Coast though. Yeah, definitely, like, I agree. That's where people came over to this world too. So like, yeah. that's where our like, country started, like the original 13 colonies. But yes, day in and day out, like the blue collar life exists way more out here than anywhere else. Yeah. So barrier of entry, perceived barrier of entry, number one, knowledge and confidence. Sum it up. Just get started. Accept failure. Yeah. And just go. Yeah. Just get outdoors. Go hunt. Yeah. Yeah. Number two, which this was not something that I hear like on social media when I did a poll and asked questions, but this is one I've heard my entire life as a cop out. <laughs> forever and i think it's a hot topic right now and i think that you would really like to talk about it so when i talk to people casually about hunting 
And you know, in Iowa, I anyone who's listening to this who like resonates with this, I'm sorry if I offend you, but majority of hunters, and I'm putting like hand quotations up, they do shotgun season and they just like brown it's down and like that that's like their hunting season. That's what they look forward to every year. It's a big party. It's a great time. But that that's there's a lot of hunters like that out here in Iowa, at least the one what I've ran into. But when I talk to people about what keeps them from hunting more often, they always say land. That is in person. If I'm in conversation, it's always about land. I I have heard that a hundred times. And it's interesting to me because I know Connor's going to get passionate about this, but there is so much resource around us and available. So how do you feel about that? Cop out. I mean, it was an excuse of mine until I was 26 years old. Kind of, in a way. Not really. Like, my, my parents don't own land at all. We rented a farmhouse until they were 40. Um, but, yeah, I then learned that... Do I move? I don't know. It'll be okay. okay. Um, I then learned that there was other resources available. God, and I don't even know when I learned this. That'd be interesting to find out when I first learned public land existed. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know when it ever started, but I got super involved right away and my relationship took me to Illinois. So the private land I did hunt then was two and a half, three hours away. So I had to suck it up if I wanted to hunt on weekends and couldn't make it home to my ex-girlfriend's grandfather's farm to hunt. And I hunted high-pressured public land around Chicago. And through that, I just blossomed, basically. I and learned through watching other hunters and how much work they put in through like trying to gain private land access, knocking on doors that it severely hindered them when they did need to go hunt public land. And I was like, well, that's easy. Like, I just won't ever look for private land because to be frank, when we lived in Chicago, it was overwhelming trying to even think and understand like where the rules and regulations and barriers would be like as far as property lines. So I just accepted it, said, forget it. I'm going to go to public land. I'm going to put more time on public land than anybody else. You know, and we'll see if that works. And it did. I remember showing up one day during shed season to a high-pressured piece like an hour from my house, like basically in suburban Chicago. And one kid had walked, was in the parking lot walking out. And I'm like, you find any bone today? And he's like, nope. I'm like, and I just straight told myself, I'm like, bet. I was like, that kid's not walking where I'm walking today which was alarming when I found my first bone that day because it's like a stereotypical place I would have walked for antlers right away. And then I picked up a second one. And it was just like, you can think whatever you want about like what people are doing and not doing on public land, but like you never know until you go find out for yourself. With that being said, like, I believe it's in, uh, in excuse. Like if you say you don't have anywhere to hunt, and it's, it's, it's a matter of being resourceful. Like you said to me, you think I'm super resourceful and maybe that wasn't as true as I am now, but yeah, it's, I don't know. Like, yeah, I learned, like I couldn't make an excuse for myself if I wanted to have success that year. 
So I didn't. And like, to be honest, I didn't have success on public land that year. I, I killed both my deer that year and my doe on public private land, um, either of her grandfather's farm. So I was fortunate and blessed in that aspect. So if you, if we're talking public land hunting, yes, it took me three seasons almost to kill a deer on public. Yeah. But, and, I, and I think that's going to be a theme through the whole thing is being resourceful. Um, yeah. Because if, if you don't think public land is going to be your jam, I think you're seriously missing out on a learning opportunity uh, and something that's free to you. But there's also, there's also like, I mean, like asking for permission too. And I know a lot of people will like moan and groan about that, but. I mean, you can, don't get me wrong. My buddy right. moved out here from New York that you heard before, Tim Cool, and he knocked on doors. He gained permission. Um, but the like, answer is always no until you, until you ask. So, yeah. I mean, but he also got scrub parcels like that are super sensitive right. to hunt and like take a lot more work to understand, etc. So I think you just like if you really want to get into this and again, if it's hunting or, you know, something, something else, if you're expecting like this instant gratification, I think that that's sometimes a misconception as well. Like, unfortunately, he might have gotten some like scrub ground to, to be on, but if he was a brand new hunter, that would have been a learning opportunity and he would have learned something real fast. Yeah, to be frank, if like barrier of entry is land in your opinion, like I fucking disagree. I totally disagree. That's like, what this yes, is about. Like debunking public that. public land only exists in three percent of Iowa, but there's quality public land throughout Iowa. It's just a matter of how hard you want to work. Right. There's also like again on barrier of entry number one and number two that we are on right now. There are a ton of podcasts, blogs, YouTube channels, apps that you can use that help with all of these things. Yeah, that I mean, that's how I taught myself when I lived in Chicago and my coworkers spoke, you know, Russian and um, Spanish. Like, I put headphones in and I listened yeah. to freaking podcasts all day long about deer hunting and just tactics and, like, deer behavior. And honestly, a lot of them didn't apply to me at first. I had no idea. I used to listen to John Dudley's podcast about shooting bows and like tuning arrows and stuff. And none of it applied to me. Like I couldn't understand any of it. But as you listen further along and you hunt more, like all of it would come full circle. So like we live in the era of information. It's just about how resourceful you want to be. Yeah. And those, those make the best hunters. Like in my opinion. I agree. I agree. And I think just like how bad you want it. Like, I think there's also the danger of social media is you look at somebody's life and you're like, wow, I want that. Or like, you're jealous. And like, do you really though? Like, do you really want to do what it took for that person to get to this point? Or do you really, do you really want to go through that? Like, I think, I think there's a lot of like, people are chasing happiness, happiness. And I think they think sometimes that, if, oh, if I do this, this is going to make me happy. And I think the out doors and there's hunting and I, think I, I, I do think it will make you happy like i do yeah think i think i think i thought that happy. at first yeah and i i think there needs to be an understanding that you're going to ride probably the largest roller coaster of your life you've ever been on if you decide to pick up and go into the woods with a bow or a gun it doesn't matter but if you're going alone you know if you don't have a mentor if you don't have a buddy if you don't have someone to support you like 
and I, to make it known, I fucking hate roller coasters. Like, I will not get on like a physical roller coaster again in my life, probably. But like the roller coaster of bow hunting, like I engulf all the emotions that it gives me, and I I look forward to the next peak, and I fucking pound it through every valley, so I can get to the next peak. And I think you really learn about the character of yourself in those states, and that's what it's all about to me. I love roller coasters. Do you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe that's also, why you can't yeah. hang three sticks on a tree. Okay, next next barrier, <laughs> a tree. That's what I'm working on this year. Oh, I no. am going to be like a tree hanging machine. Fucking hanging banger. Number three. You just touched on it. Mentor, community, support. You were kind of a solo guy, and that's cool. Not everyone wants to be a solo person or feels right. like they can be in the beginning, right? Well, let's not make this all about deer hunting, too. I am. Yeah, like, I'm talking outdoors in general. Yeah, so you'll hear a lot of turkey talk from me or whitetails because that's really the only creatures I've chased um, with a bow. I strictly bow hunt. But I did grow up trout fishing before I ever hunted. Um, so I think knowledge is. We were on knowledge, right? What were we on? <laughs> Mentor. Mentor community. Um, you have to open up to accepting criticism and accepting failure when you enter a new community whether you enter it alone whether you enter it you know at an archery shop with a couple other people the stigma you see on tv or would gather from tv in our past like does not actually exist in the world when you walk into a bow shop and set you up with a bow shoot a bow um mentors is tough but there's a lot of great programs throughout states across the nation where you can get involved if you if you do feel you need a mentor um but also don't ever ask anyone don't ever like hesitate to ask anyone if they'd take you and maybe they won't yeah make smart decisions with that yeah as well like, yeah yeah make sure um, in your gut you feel good <laughs> well, uh, no, no. So, no, don't, don't. Like, because when you're new, like, you can't worry about that if you want to start hunting. I literally was left in Wisconsin late season last year by my hunting partner. Like, you can't think about this stuff if you want to go hunt. Like, I made it work. I got my ass home. Like, it was all okay. And to preface, I did tell Connor that there's probably going to be some things in here that we agree to disagree on. Yeah. And that might be a conversation. I, d- I, I say yes and no. Don't overthink it. Don't overthink it. But if yeah. I, I'm saying like. You can you can learn something good and you can learn something bad from everybody. Yeah. So in my opinion, it doesn't matter. If somebody wants to show you the outdoors, that's great. But like have a very open mind and understand you can learn both ways from them. And I, I, th- I think a mentor doesn't matter at that point, whether it, it whether it gets you over the verge of like going out to, you know, a ground you've never been to on your own or vice versa. Um, I think, you know, because I went through two or three bad hunting buddies and now here I sit on my own. 
and I could probably have another really good hunting buddy, but I feel I'm not up to par as him, which doesn't matter to him. That's more of a respect thing on my end. Um, yeah, I don't know. Obviously, we disagree, but... No, I don't completely disagree. Like, I, I, my father didn't take me hunting, so the, the mentor thing was... I found someone who I could trust, and I was working class bowhunter podcasts because they're from my area, so I gathered my information from them. Like I took from their equipment and like I matched it basically. I'll admit it, but it worked for me. Like I learned to know it, and I also learned that like I fell into the the social media of hype of like getting new equipment when I learned all I needed to do was just not be frustrated when I was having problems with my hand-me-down bow and just shoot through them or, you know, put it down, come back to it later, maybe look at what I was doing and come back and fix it. Um, instead, I was like, nope, made an excuse, thought I needed to go get a new bow, and I did. Put me in a financial stretch, which is okay. Like, it happens. I'm thankful I got the bow now, but I think I'd been even more grateful if I'd kept that $125 whitetail extreme from PSE and killed a deer with that. It's a freaking three pin true glow and a whisker biscuit. So equi equ equipment does not matter. Yeah. And that's not even anything that I wrote down to talk about today necessarily, but I teach intro to archery classes and something I touch on a lot because a lot of the classes I do are women specific and I get, and I'm sure someone out there is going to like royally disagree with me, but I just, I always share this in all my classes that I really want people to be careful about marketing tactics when it comes to archery equipment, because there's a lot of things that are geared towards women and there really isn't a difference between a man's bow and a woman's bow. There's a difference between a heavy bow and a light bow and a bow that pulls this much weight and this much weight and how fast it is, but there's not really a difference. A lot of the marketing tactics are turquoise, pink, and purple to draw women in. And I think that I have a, I have a little bit, I, I mean, there's great bows. They're great bows. I'm not saying they're not, but they're, you know, $1,200 and they're making, you know, women think that this is what they need. And maybe, maybe not. They're not. I mean, they just people just need to be more educated in what their options are. But I, I just well, no. Wisconsin thought they had to make pink camouflage legal to get more women in the outdoors. Like, right. it exists. It's real. But yeah. yes, to your point, a lot of companies market it that way for profits, and that's where I, I'm anti-industry almost a hundred percent. I would say. Mm -hmm. I am affiliated with Lone Wolf Custom Gear, but they seriously believed in me and bought into me early on. And like in how I hunt, an efficient mobile hunting system is necessary. I had an efficient one in 18 that I only probably needed to upgrade sticks to, but I was very fortunate um, knowing the people I do. And I had a really good opening weekend hunt in Kentucky in which Lone Wolf Custom Gear just told me I could keep the third ever DeQuisto 1.0 prototype ever made. And now that's all I hunt out of. So 
Yeah. Well, on that point, though, what I was getting at, where I wasn't disagreeing with you, but where I hesitated, is what you're talking about with like lone wolf and like your experience with different mentors and stuff. Is like if your gut is telling you you don't trust this person, but you're just doing it to get outside. That's where I said I would say check yourself if you're not because complacency is what kills people. <laughs> and I think well, yeah, don't. Just, fr- I think you just need to have a trust factor okay so like you're talking about going out on a mountaintop or in the woods with somebody just to like make sure the trust factor is there but yeah don't meet the guy in the parking lot for the first time and be like yeah take me hunting yeah although he could be a really cool guy maybe after, be a really cool guy. maybe after the second or third time if you watch him drag a deer out you should probably ask him to freaking take you hunting yeah just gut check is all i'm asking yeah that's, all I'm that's smart be yeah. smart yeah but in uh in a way you were kind of like a mentor to me because you know the way i grew up wasn't mobile hunting and i'm really I yeah really let want to be a part of that let's be frank the like hang and bang hunting i do is like basically designed for public land yeah some guys do it on private land but the guys doing it on private land hanging and banging like i am are like half thousands of acres because they're not they can't mess it up when they do it that way so, you know, take it with a grain of salt. You just need to get out in the woods and fail. Like it's it's really as simple as that in my opinion. I'm I'm no master. That's why if you watch my channels, like you don't see any informative, like serious informative information about how to kill a deer, but yeah. just the realness of the ups and downs of public land hunting. Yeah. And as far as like community and support goes too, there, there are a lot of resources out there. There's a lot of forums you can follow and just like anything, just like anything, there's great people and there's bad eggs. And I think you have to, to Connor's point, take that with a grain of salt because it doesn't matter if you're talking about knitting, like there are going to be people who are going to hate on you for not knowing something. You just got to like, you just got to push that out of your mind and just focus on the positive energy, I think. Opinions are like assholes. Who gives a shit? Everyone has one. That's actually how that saying goes. Everyone has one. Who gives a shit? No, opinions are like assholes. Everyone has one. No, we'll agree to disagree here yeah, and I'll tell you the story later. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we touched on it a little bit too. So money is like a big one that comes up too. And I think that's that's objective right like subjective is that the word i'm looking for subjective yes because when people say that i don't know what that means like i don't know if that means like i don't know what it means honestly i wore walmart camo my first year and bought a 125 dollar bow off craigslist with arrows fully set up so and it taught me how to deer hunt um do you even need to wear camo no no I think you need to learn deer first off and um, wind. Wind is number one and just deer behavior. Um, as far as equipment, like, of course, you need a bow. Of course, you need a release. You know, you need, you need a well-tuned arrow, but you don't need a heavy arrow set up or anything like that. You need to be proficient and you need to practice and, like, a large part of it, if you don't want to fail, even though there's a, that acceptance to failure, is you have to realize you have to put time aside for these things. Um, 
and learn to prioritize what you're really after and, you know, kind of block out things you might have done in your past. Um, but yeah, you don't need to stand like I missed my first year out of somebody else's stand. It's like, no, don't go in there with the intention of sitting every someone else's stand every time. But like, you know, if it breaks up the monotony or if it's like if he's not there and if you've made contact with him. Because in Iowa, you should label your stands with a name and phone number. It makes it easy. And I think if we all begin to work together more, all the all the hunting everywhere will be better. Um, camo is just all this costs is portrayed and overspoken from the industry side of it. I'm one of the guys that believes like, all these things were created to sell product and I aim to debunk them because quite frankly, I don't practice the best scent control. I don't shoot. Oh, I shoot a pretty good bow. I don't shoot the best bow probably on the market, but I would say, I would say I set the time to stop, set aside the time to practice and learn my equipment. And you need that. And a little bit of knowledge and understanding about how deer behave. But if you enter the woods knowing your equipment and confident in your shot process, you're going to be pretty proficient and successful in the woods. Yeah. And if you don't want to just like up front invest in a bow right away, I actually know a handful of people when they took their hunter education, they actually went out in a blind or like just sat up against a tree just to like watch deer behavior and see how close they could get to one yeah. before they ever invested in a gun or a bow. Uh, so if it, with that being said, if you don't want to go out there by yourself and do that, like you can go alongside someone else and watch them. Yeah. It doesn't have to Absolutely. be, it doesn't have to be like this full investment up front uh, just to experience it. Some people find out they really love animal watching. Yeah. So my, <laughs> I, we spoke, I said this on the, last podcast in 2015 i hung a stand on public land and i never hunted it but like i thought i was going to be about it that year and quite frankly i wasn't so like when people look at me please don't think i'm like some diehard it's like i went through two and a half years of serious struggle like trials and tribulations ups and downs and a roller coaster thrown up in a paper bag because like i did you know i felt sick to my stomach at times and mad at myself or like missed a deer or stuff like that I hit a deer bad like it it freaking happens. We are human. So I think we need to like just quit holding ourselves back in general as a race. That being humans. And just chase our dreams. I'm not saying bow hunting was a dream of mine. But I'm saying bow hunting taught me to chase my dreams. Yeah. Yeah. I can resonate with that. I'm a big advocate for trying things. I think if something is even like striking your interest a little bit, I think you just got to try it. Like you got to dabble a little bit. And then if you find out you hate it, then just like start over. Just do it. Just do something else. Like I, I hate, like I don't want people to invest thousands of dollars into a new hobby. I'm saying like ease yourself into it. See if this is for you. And usually if you have any sort of income coming in, I guarantee if you have a hobby already, you're putting a very good portion of your income into that. And I think if you, 
I think it's like anything, like you are resourceful for the things that you want to be resourceful for. I was talking to a good buddy about it during the antlers hunt, and he said, let's be honest. He's like, I'm not very good at it, but I guarantee you if I sat down with you one night and looked at your budget and you showed me everywhere you spent money, I could find you $600 to fucking buy a bow and buy a license and buy a tech. Yeah. So. It's about what you want bad enough look like some of you are probably looking at yourself right now and like dang yeah maybe i am just doing it because i see other people doing it and that's fucking okay like it it really fucking is don't get discouraged um because i did it too that way but you 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 quickly learn that you get more out of doing it for yourself and putting the work in for yourself because no one takes that from you no one can own that, like, besides you. Um, so, yeah, if, if equipment or anything like that is a barrier to entry for yourself, I encourage people to, you know, we live in a social media world. There's a bunch of buy, sell, trade, Facebook pages, marketplace. Like, the end of a deer season, a lot of stuff moving forward from here is going to go on sale. Um, people are going to post, especially people with sponsorships, Changing sponsorships are going to post gear for almost half off more or more um, through their stories or like Marketplace, Craigslist. And if you're surfing these channels this time of year, like that, that barrier goes way down. Um, And then, you know, there's not the stress when fall comes around to get all those things. You can, you can zero in on shooting your bow proficiently. I'm going to say that I realize not everyone is going to be honestly as lucky as I was in this situation. But when I think of like being resourceful, my first hunting dog, my first gun, my first (laughs) bow, were all from things that my dad traded in. <laughs> Saw someone was trading a bow, a bird dog, and a gun, and traded in something else that we already had. Um, so I could have those things because money wasn't always money wasn't always just falling from the sky. So uh, and and never really has been. And so there's just been a lot of bartering to. To, to, to start the hobby and like passion that I have, like it, I was lucky I had a dad who saw that I wanted to do that so badly, but he didn't actually pay cash or anything to get me started. Yeah. Like, look, like there's a lot of people out there that want to take you hunting, believe it or not. Like, and there's a lot of people out there with gear overflowing their, their closets, their freaking garage or whatever. So, if gear is the only thing, like I encourage you opening up some doors you may be closed in your past and like knocking on them because like hunters care about other hunters, in my opinion. And we're all out here to help each other. Um, so like just just quit making excuses for yourself, quite frankly. Like I don't wanna continue to go back to that and I don't wanna discourage people or talk down to people, but I know I made excuses in my past about it. So, like, although I'm being honest and I'm not trying to target or 
you know, talk down to anyone, like just suck it up, like cross that bridge. Maybe it's already burnt. Maybe it won't work out. Who cares? Like it's the same thing as knocking on doors. Like what's the worst you can be told? No, like who cares? Ask someone else. Like, and like, quite frankly, I'm, I'm a member of the backcountry hunters and anglers. If you really, really need freaking gear, like get on that page, I will find you something to get you started hunting. And just don't, this is easier said than done, but just don't feel like you have to keep up with anybody either. Like, yeah, that's probably number one. For I think sure. there's a lot of pressure to do that. And then as you become part of a community, become like listening to podcasts, watching, um, I, I just, we, we all could do a better job at this in probably some area of our lives. Just don't. You don't have to be the best of the best out of the gates, unless you want to be. I mean, if that's if you got the budget and the time, absolutely, you do you. Dude, but. I've I've looked up to Curtis Abel from behind the bow for freaking ever, and uh, I messaged him not long ago and told him, you know, how much his stuff meant to me, how much he's taught me, and uh, his fucking the only thing he said back to me was, "I'm just an average bow hunter, man." It was like, God damn it, that's so true, like. I don't know. It takes a long time to be a master at anything. And anyone that tells you they're a master at something's probably fucking lying to you. Yeah, absolutely. Always learning all the time. That's what it's about. Okay. I'm sure we're going to go off on a couple tangents, but two more perceived barriers of entry I want to talk about. My next, hair looks nice. Next one. Anyways, go ahead. Does anybody on there have something they want to add? We are talking about barriers to entry into the hunting world. So if anybody has a suggestion on the topic, we've covered money, we've covered equipment, we've covered mentor. community or a mentor, we've covered land. What's something else that... We got a live Instagram feed, so we might get some live Yeah, we're questions. on the Drifter Nation Facebook too, currently. <laughs> Where are we going next? Okay, so you may or may not be able to touch on this, but Mindset. I want to hear your thoughts. I want to talk about the non-typical hunter. So you're kind of, you're not. No, I, I would say, can I say it's me? Is, yeah. is that? I mean, you're not middle-aged yet. You're almost middle-aged. <laughs> That's it, folks. We are freaking signing off. You got like one month left. Um, Drifter Nation is ending today. So yeah. is Whitetail Drifter. That's oh. that's that. <laughs> Jesus. Over the hill in about three weeks. Um, yeah, so like I'm just talking and there's I got all the love for the middle weight middle-aged white guys. Like those are my those are my people. <laughs> but I just want <laughs> I just want to touch on if you are so can i say women to start yeah please you talk about women i would love for you to talk about that well if we're talking about non-stereotypical hunter it's obviously perceived as kind of the macho man thing the masculine thing to do <laughs> but if you look at a lot of relationships in the world often the wife wears the pants so um i think we need to readdress all of that fairly quickly it's like it's like the guy that says he only eats meat because he's too masculine to eat freaking vegetables tim brought that up to me the other day and i thought that 
that was so on cue because shit don't matter. Like, I believe women could save hunting if we'd all drop the masculinity out of it and open up to some of the women and get them involved because quite frankly, in the Midwest, there's some badass chicks in this state. And we live in a time and an era where people are having kids with people they shouldn't and kids are growing up without fathers. So quite frankly, like the mothers are going to be responsible for teaching these kids these outdoor things. And if we don't instill in these women outdoor attributes, we could seriously see hunting disappear fairly quick, in my opinion. Um, yes, we could do it through, you know, some middle-aged men that, you know, haven't ever taken their kids hunting before. But let's just be honest, like nobody has time these days. So maybe if that's how a woman or a male needs to spend more time with their family, it could be through hunting or fishing or the outdoors. It doesn't matter. Like I said, I started turkey hunting, which I think is perfect for every new hunter. Instead of diving straight into whitetails, um, yes, we all like to bring home a lot of meat, and yes, you get it the most from whitetails, but you need you need to understand your goals and the reality of them and stick to them. We got a question, a comment, concern? I can't see that from there. Someone said your best way to get them in started is crossbow and show them how to do more than just kill an animal. Chase is on cleaning and cooking the animal too. I mean, why has it got to be a crossbow? Yeah. Why has it got to be a crossbow? Why can't it be a gun, Dalton? Why it, can't it, it be it, a regular bow? Yeah, it could be a compound bow. It doesn't matter if the kid's going out shooting at squirrels and rabbits in the wood. Like, we're not talking about just deer hunting. I mean, I think a crossbow is super fun. Yeah, crossbows are super fun. If that's legal in your state, absolutely. Like, I feel the reason I'm successful is because I've chosen archery and archery only. So I get more time in the woods, and I think that's a big part of it. So every season I'm in the woods, I learn way more than perhaps a gun hunter. But um, I think there's a lot of kids that are intrigued by it these days. They just don't have the resources. So, so it... it it takes people like us reaching out to perhaps families, you know, with children that can't get them into the woods um, to show them these things. Like I look back at it now and I ran to the creek every day after work or after school and like was down there almost till dark, but I never hunted. So it's, it's pretty crazy. Um, but, but yeah, back to the urban thing. It's like, we're, we're also encountering different races and ethnicities. I, I mentored an African, African American this year during our mentored hunt. And quite frankly, he was doing it for the same reason I got into it. He wanted to learn life skills from it. Yeah. And um, I mentored a Hispanic woman. Yeah. And, um, actually, had, actually our class was 80% women. Yeah. Like it, it was a majority of women, which is another reason I was like, whoa, like maybe yeah. maybe women really is the ticket. And and I know Connor's a big fan of women. Well, yeah, oh. we know. We know. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but a big fan of Maria, who is my mentee. Yeah. And, Maria's um, a very gentle soul. And, and Creighton, who he mentored with, is amazing. These people who showed up like they really showed up and they were they were awesome. But uh, Maria 
Maria did it so she could learn, so she could do it with her son. Like I thought that was amazing. Yeah. Like she, you know, like in her in her home, like how she grew up, like women didn't. Women were not they allowed. We're not allowed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so now she has a son that really wants to do it, and she's doing it for him, and I think that's amazing. I think that's so cool. And Creighton and his girlfriend did it together. Um, and they neither one of them had ever hunted before. But I mean, let's let's even take it to the extreme. Even the white collar guy who sits in a freaking cubicle all weekend and you know makes a hundred grand a year. I bet there's a good majority of those guys out there that are freaking just beating their head against their cubicle and like God, there's something out there in this world. You know, I hate to bring him up, but he, he was part of our pre discussion. I don't hate to. Caleb Condit like doesn't exactly fit the stereotypical if that's what we're going to call it right hunter because whatever that fucking word in hunting is bullshit you know because he considers himself more of like a a filmmaker a photographer or an artsy person and like sure that's fine that's great like we can all exist in our own realms and still do this awesome thing um Okay, crossbows work best, note to self. So yeah, like that and like, I don't know. I think even those like targeting white collar folk, like obviously you lose the barrier to entry there with the money thing. They have enough money to do it. They just haven't been resourceful enough their whole life. And I think that's part of the reason I'm transparent. And part of the reason I'm transparent is because I fucking hate consumerism. I'm super guilty of it, but I think that's what's tearing apart society. So I'm trying to turn back time, slow back time, whatever you want to call it. Turn back time. Are you, yeah, that song probably came out when you were in high school. Yeah, so, <laughs> I, you know, fortunately, we have an opportunity to show a bunch of non-stereotypical hunters you know, what it's about. And I think we need to embrace it instead of being like, oh, those guys don't want to because I'll say it again, like, you were born primal. Like, I talked to a woman today that was like, I don't, I don't necessarily, I don't think she said I agree with hunting, but it kind of freaked her out, so to speak. And it's like, sure. But still, at the end of it, she wanted to, like, live on a farm. And it's like, yeah, because you were freaking born primal. You want to be self-sufficient, so. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I think it's just dropping egos. Yeah. This isn't, and this is something that, the one of the last barriers of entry I want to talk about is like the physicality of it. And that's something that I'm really focused on. Uh, my physical fitness doesn't prohibit me from going hunting. And, but it is something that I'm going to continue to work on so I can do some bigger hunts, hike in further, pack more. I'm a, I mean, I'm a flatlander. I am a Midwest girl, absolutely through and through. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm not hiking any mountain ranges, but I'd like to. So I think that is also. She can't even hike Shimmick, folks. I did it. I was sweaty as hell, but I did it. Um, Tony brought up a good point. He bought his wife a bow just so they could shoot and learn together and spend more time together as a family. Yeah. Like, this all doesn't happen, have to happen your first year you get a bow. Like, yeah. let's make that known. Um, yeah. You could 
you know, spend your whole year shooting a bow and start next season, start by postseason scouting, start by, you know, just finding where deer are during hunting season before you dive in and like spend all those expenses. Cause it actually is, it is quite a bit of money. Yeah. And there's a lot of, actually, I just taught, um, my most recent archery class a couple days ago. And something I brought up was my dad, brother, and I all bow hunt and we all hunt together. My mom is not a hunter. Uh, she has tried going hunting with us and just balls like a baby, but she did buy a bow to shoot with us. And we do 3d competitions as a family and do 3d archery. There's, there's multiple ranges in Iowa and there's all over the country of where you can hike and do 3d shoots and just spend time with the family. And it's, it's, it's amazing. And that's, that's how we have kind of, my mom has like a, has a respect for what we do because she got involved, but she's not, she's not a hunter. But sure. she, she loves picking up a bow. So I very much relate to that. But the physical fitness part, I think. And maybe disability and health. Is what do you mean? If I don't do 200 push-ups in the parking lot before I go hunt, I can't go hunt? Are we going to tell Cam Haynes about this? I'm sorry. I am just saying that I think endurance matters. And I think. I think if you're going to do some, if you're going to do some extreme hunting, right, and you're going to go into public land, areas you're not familiar with, you're going to bring a stand. People always used to ask me, what are you going to do if you shoot a deer back there? I said, I don't know. Well, what do you mean you don't know? Well, I haven't shot one yet. So, like, that thought never crossed my mind. Probably wasn't smart of me. Actually, wasn't smart of me. But, like, it it dropped that barrier for me. I never thought about it. I wanted to get in there and hunt. I got in there and hunt. After I shot a deer, I figured it out then. So, physical fitness, I, don't, I think that's a large reason why I mobile hunt, honestly. I was a cross-country runner growing up. And, like, I think I enjoy the endurance part of, like, hanging and banging and, like, sitting multiple sets in a day compared to just sitting one set all day. Um the physical fitness I don't agree with for the fact that you need bow fitness and like bow strength. If you know your equipment, in my opinion, you don't really consider the rest of it. So, but yeah, that's, I don't know. For me, like, to, this is a mental. Yeah, that's, a, that's as a male. So. Well, no, no, no. Well, I'm not talking as a female. Well, I'm I was. I'm talking about as like a Midwest person who set their stand up in a tree permanently with people helping them right so now i want to go hunt public land in places i've never been in elevation that i probably can't handle and i want and i want to do that but in my head i'm like i have to be like really physically fit to do that shit but i've also been told you just got to do it to know what that's probably because you also think you need to maintain scent control when you get up there too no, I, I, oh. I'm not a big set control person. Okay. That's probably why I don't have a deer this year, honestly. But. I disagree. <laughs> um. Does anyone feel that way about physical fitness? Like, that, that, do you think that's necessary? Like, I wanted to touch on people with, like, health issues and yeah, potential that, disabilities. Sure. Well. Like, that's, that's, I mean. Well, fortunately, like, I believe there is some controlled zones. Are we going to have to mute this? Are we going to have to pause it? No. Keep going. 
going. Roll I'm it. hearing weird noises. Yeah. It's the dishwasher or something. I think. Um. Yeah. Fortunately, like for disabled hunters, I believe there's a disabled season in Iowa, or at least a youth season. Um. You know, part of the perks of hunting deer is the richness of the venison when you harvest one. So I believe full cycle, it's way more healthy for you than shopping out of a grocery store. As far as disabilities, like that's why there's mentored programs too across Iowa's for the opportunities to get out with someone in a ground blind or something like that. Yeah, being in shape doesn't hurt, but it also can be an excuse unless you're, you know, actually disabled or have a handicap in which, you know, I'd be willing to help out. I got a pretty strong follower from North Carolina that was ejected from a car during a drunk driving accident just years ago and talks to me often about deer hunting. And I've been talking with his sister behind the scenes about starting to build preference points for Iowa, you know, so we could get them out here one year to hunt Iowa. Cause as a North Carolina person, like this is a trophy state. <laughs> Sorry. I'm reading people's comments over here as we She's the host, this. folks. <laughs> and I'm just, I got a couple of people who were uh, talking about like uh, Tony Smith being in shape doesn't hurt, but I'm not in great shape and I still get at, get at it. And Jack, I'm fat. I get it done. Laugh out loud. So <laughs> I appreciate, I just appreciate I'll that. see you this weekend, Jack. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I don't know. I think, I think a big part of that is us helping each other. And uh, although we might see a lot of negative stuff throughout the media these days, like there's a lot of good people in these worlds, this world, and we need to begin to show that. Yeah. I live in several worlds. So, um, yeah, we need, we just need to begin to portray that and we need to, you know, drop our masculinity and start to help others instead of just worrying about ourselves. Because at the end of the day, it's about saving conservation and making sure that it's still around for the next generation. That, you know, like Doug Duran says, it's not ours, it's just our turn. Yeah. I think we are our own biggest barrier. Yeah, I will 100% agree with that. If we had to sum up this episode, it's, yeah, yeah you are holding yourself back. Yeah, and that probably goes beyond. Yeah, and, you know, it's okay, it, it's okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah it exists totally in many okay. forms, but yeah. recognizing that and, you know, like I told Steph when she showed up, I listened to her and Seth's podcast at work today. And I was mad at myself finally for the first time about my financial state. And I really like took it to heart when she said that because it's like, I was like, you know what? I really haven't been mad at myself enough yet to actually fix it. That's, that's completely true. Yeah. I just like, I mean, maybe hunt, I don't think hunting is for everybody, but I kind of think hunting is for everybody. <laughs> so, yeah, I'll disagree and I'll say I think hunting's for everybody. <laughs> 
I do. I, mean, I really do. I really think I, that there's, it doesn't have to be deer hunting. I think there might be a longer progression for a lot of people into hunting. Some people may have to go through the fish. Look at me. Like I, like I went through the fishing realm a long time and then I fell out of fishing and like at 26, I decided to start bow fishing and here I am. Yeah. I also think fishing is for everybody too. Yeah, absolutely. Hiking. I, I need to catch a crappie and a bluegill through the ice. I just did yesterday. See, yeah. you're, you're better than me. I am in all things. <laughs> Heard it here hunting. first, folks. <laughs> hunting. Mostly just hunting. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, some else? of the stuff on these comments we already touched on earlier on the episode. So you'll have to, and I'm talking to people over here on Drifter Nation facebook live you'll have to dive into this episode when we release it but we covered a lot of some of the stuff you guys are mentioning you know what i really appreciate though there was a handful of people on there who talked about like people get caught up in x y z but it's really about making memories and you're totally right people get so caught up in there was a comment on there about someone's like, I really just want to get my kids into shooting, get them into hunting, but they completely bypass the fact that it's to be out there with your kiddo in the first place. And I totally agree. Yeah. The experiences alone have made me the person I am. None of not even the success, but I mean, I would say the failures more than the success. So. Yeah. Cool, man. Very cool. Thanks for watching, y'all. Where can people find you, Connor? How can they learn more about you and learn from you? You can't ever find me. He's drifting. Drifting. <laughs> you can find him at White at Whitetail Drifter on Instagram. Yeah, Whitetail Drifter, everything. Please join the Drifter Nation Facebook group. We've got a good discussion going on there of all things drifting, whether you travel across the state with your family to go see national parks. You know, we want to know how you're saving gas, how you're saving money, um, whether you're ice fishing this time of year and you're bouncing around chasing tournaments, what you're catching, what you're doing with them, how you're preparing for the next deer season, um, you know, what your tactics may be for waterfowl season late in the year. I think is goose still open? Goose might no, have just closed. closed yeah. yeah. I think so. But yeah, like it's a very open community. I'm I'm a very primitive guy. I don't do anything high budget or anything like that um yeah whitetail drifter youtube whitetail drifter instagram facebook connor wakefield facebook drifter nation facebook and i have a feeling this is not going to be the last time we hear from connor because there is a lot more to this guy than we even got to today but i thought he was the perfect co-host yeah dude we need we need to talk about Probably turkeys and mushrooms next time I come on. Yeah. Because it'll be morel season soon. Yeah. I don't even care about turkeys. I care about turkeys. I care a lot about turkeys, but like if I don't kill a turkey early, like mushrooms pay well. So, yeah. and they taste good. Yeah. Way better I'd than turkeys. I'd love to be better at like identifying mushrooms. That's a goal for 2020. Morels mm, look pretty similar. Well, Those are the best. Mm -hmm. But I'll show you. Chicken in the woods, fire. Yeah. Yeah, goat's beard, devil's beard. Haven't even heard of that one. Well, stick with me, kid. Crown coral, pheasant back, which is kind of one 
that's not really prestigious among mushroom hunters. Pheasant chicken of the woods? No, I already said chicken. Pheasant of the woods. Hen of the woods is what it is. Is the other hen of the woods is the other one. Um, but that's a that's a fall mushroom. So yeah. Yeah, we got any foraging people in here? We know we both know a handful of foraging people. We'll have to get them on yeah, the podcast. And, well, so like, are you are you want foraging or you because like foraging foragers take it to the whole next level, like greens and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Which I want is, that. Yeah. I want that shit. Which is cool and everything, but I think when you initially break the foraging barrier, you want to just pick mushrooms. So I think a lot of people are like, oh, yeah. staghorn, like, cool. Like, it's a spice. Like, who cares? What are the mushrooms? It's like, I care full circle, but morels are freaking delicious. They are delicious. And they only pop for a certain time of the year. So, yeah. And it's something kind of to do while you're turkey. I'd probably quit my job in mushroom hunt. I think I, I think I really would. I think if someone could really nail the mushroom, the morel mushroom game, and like start a restaurant with that, that would just be. Dude, epic. I found eleven pounds on Memorial Day last year in Wisconsin. We're at. I'll Send s- me your coordinates. I'll, I'll say it was the weekend after the mushroom festival up there. That's all I'll say. Okay. All right, you heard it here. Follow him on Instagram. Figure that out. First one. First one to figure that out. We'll have a prize. Drop a line. <laughs> okay. Any parting words? Let the wilderness teach you. Oh, man. I can't really top that right now. I know. You were supposed to cut it and not say anything. Yeah, I can edit myself. Oh, okay. <laughs> I had a pee. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And as always, please drop us a review. Let me know your questions, opinions. Do you agree with some of our opinions on the barriers of entry? Do you think there are some that we completely skipped over? Are there things you wish we would have addressed further? I would love to know that feedback and and take this conversation further and deeper. So please reach out. Thank you so much, guys. Until next time.